Hello, I'm Marie Snyman. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today's topic is nonverbal communication, secrets women should know. My guest is Tanya Stein, body language expert, human behavior analyst and coach from Johannesburg. Welcome, Tanya. Thank you, Marit. Thank you for inviting me to be your guest. I'm looking forward to our talk. To our listeners, after our conversation, Tanya will give us her three best tips on human behavior. And then it will be fun question time. Tanya, as a body language expert and human behavior analyst, your work is science-based. And in fact, you're a lifetime member of Science of People. Please tell us what Science of People entails. So Science of People is a company in America, and it's run by a lady called Vanessa Van Edwards. And she is a body language expert. She teaches us. But what she does with her company is she takes research that scientists do, and they it's always hard to read um, scientific reports. So what she does is she takes the report on any human behavior or body language, reads it in her lab, she calls it her lab, and she adapts it in forms that we can use and teach to normal laymans out in the wild. Because a, a scientist will say something one way and you'll think, how do I apply that in my real life? So what she does is new research comes in, old research, all kinds of research, and we adapt it and she sends it to all her coaches worldwide and we teach it. And I know there are annual exams involved. Uh, every year, which I think is a good thing. I, um, I like the fact that I'm being tested all the time. It's hard. When you get older, it's hard to do any exam. I, I stress myself out completely. But you have to pass with a 93%. Sure. So it's not a, it's not a, it's in order to keep your license, you know, to share all this stuff. It's a wonderful, I believe it's wonderful. I think they, when I did my course, my certification course, there were three South Africans. And of those three, I'm the only one who's still actually doing and who's still actually maintaining my license. That's a good thing. Now we're coming to nonverbal communication. What is that? All right. So a lot of people think it's just how you sit, how you walk. But there's so much more to nonverbal communication. Nonverbal communication is your facial expressions, your tone of voice, your gestures, your hands, your, your posture. And it also involves how you do your hair, how you do your body, how you dress. So there's a lot more to our communication. It's really when the research come out, came out, sorry, it said that 40% of our communication are words. 60% at a minimum is nonverbal communication. We look at faces. A Harvard study recently published, um, they said nonverbal is 93% of our communication. Sure. I think it's a little bit too high because there's cultural differences. There's a lot of different things. But that same university teaches a PhD student only 12 minutes of nonverbal communication. So there's a little bit of a gap, and that's where I've come in. I fill that gap of how do we communicate it's so important when you know you need to use 100% of your communication skills, not just 40. 
if you say, I like carrot cake, and I go, yeah, it's nice, and my face squints, you'll know I'm actually lying, because our brain believes the nonverbal. So let me explain this also. I want to add this. Our brain is made to read body language. We have certain regions in our brain that actually read body language. Our brain is still the same brain as our ancestors. Our prehistoric brain is still there. Our brain is always trying to keep us safe. That's its main priority. It's trying to keep us safe. So when you meet a new person for the first time and your brain feels something about them, the warning signs goes off. Do I trust this person? Um, can I follow them? Are they going to hurt me? Are they going to harm me? It's like the caveman days. You know, it's like hands. If you don't see someone's hands, your brain's fear receptors get triggered. Because in the caveman days, if a fellow caveman comes walking towards you, you look at his hands straight away before even realizing you're looking at his hands. So you look at him and you see, has he got a weapon? Is he a friend or a foe? Our brains are still doing that today. So when you understand how all this works, it's phenomenal. It changes your life. You've mentioned that it has changed your life. Would you like to say something about that? You know, um, I think we said this earlier, I was extremely shy. I was a extreme introvert. Um, my childhood was pretty wild. So I think self-conscious, extremely. Um, if people who knew me back then would see me today, they would probably say, I can't believe that I was that shy. Thinking back, I didn't look insecure. I felt it, but what I actually realized with body language is I was exhibiting the body language of an aggressive, aloof person, purely because I was trying to protect myself. So people would say to me, you're very unapproachable. And I'd say, why? I love people. But it's because my chin was raised a little too high. I never really made eye contact. When you don't make eye contact, you don't build connections. So once I started learning this, and this is what's so amazing with the program that we have, it always starts with you first. You start seeing the things you exhibit and how people react to you. And then you start thinking, hey, maybe if I change this a little, People won't. And you start practicing this. It changes everything. Changed everything for me. I can stand on a stage now with thousands of people. I, I don't get scared at all. I often say to my kids, I wonder if maybe I'm a little bit of a psychopath that I'm not scared at all. <laughs> and they laugh and they say, no, mom, you're just comfortable in what you do. So it did. It changed my life completely. It put me on a new career. I've met the most amazing people. Doors have opened. I've done things that I never thought possible. So, no, it's definitely changed my life. Mm. And that's why you're so passionate. I'm being, you can hear, I'm passionate yeah. about this yeah. because it changes lives. To me, you know, when I do workshops and I teach people, it's like little lights that I'm switching on for people. It's so amazing. It's literally like I see the, ah, and people just understand because we were born with this. Body language is our first language. We were born with this. Then we learn words. So all I'm basically doing is reconnecting with our first language. And once people understand that, and it's a cross-culture, everybody's the same. That's what's so awesome. You know, facial expressions, for example, we all make the same facial expression. The, the scientists did research on blind people. They were born blind. 
They still make the same facial expressions that we do when we are sad, when we are happy, when we feel contempt, exactly the same. So it's universal. It's wonderful to know. That's fascinating. Mm. Which role does nonverbal communication play in our lives? So, like I said, 40% of our communication is words. So if you take the bare minimum 60%, when you exhibit the right body language, you as a person feel better. That's why it changes your well-being. You feel better. When you, body language is about open or closed. If you have closed body language, there's a professor, Amy Cuddy, she did solid research on this, solid, solid. We actually change the hormones in our brain when we close our body off. When we open it up, we increase our testosterone. So closing makes you decrease testosterone, increase cortisol. Cortisol is your stress hormone, the hormone that makes you feel depressed and uh. So just by opening your body, when I teach people this, you know, people will think, why would you want to close your body off? Because you are actually making yourself dumber and slower and fatter. Because cortisol also increases our weight, doesn't it? So we change. Body language is phenomenal when you actually understand. And when we give you the research first and then we show you how to do it, changes everything. Now we're coming to a very interesting topic, which is the differences in the way men and women communicate. You've written that there are many differences. And could you tell us more about the aspect of nonverbal communication in this regard? So men and women are different. Our brains are structured different. We, for example, women use both sides of their brain for communication. Men use only one side. Women need to spend, and this is research from Alan Pease, that we need to use about 20,000 words a day to communicate. <laughs> Men only use 7,000, and then they're done. My goodness. So, you know, there's so much difference between us, and yet we're also similar. What's wonderful about this, men and women can both learn how to adapt and communicate with each other. We do have different styles. So it does make a difference to understand. It makes a difference in relationships, in your career, with your children. Just to understand what we need to do, how we all like to communicate, changes everything. I'm very curious to hear more about this. I've read in one of your blogs that shoulder orientation is very important during conversations. Could you talk about the three frames? Okay, so there are, look, there are a lot more than three frames. There's, I mean, this is just the shoulder orientation and position when we communicate. So the, the first one would be face-to-face, -face, okay? We just talk face-to-face. -face. The second one would be side-to-side, -side, where we sit next to each other. The third one is leave-taking. When we finish with a conversation, your posture will change. The person you're speaking to, their posture will change. You can see they finish, they'll turn away. So with face-to-face, -face, that is the preferred communication for women. We love looking at people because we're emotional. Women are emotional. We want to see what you mean. We want to see what your face says. Do you like this or don't you? So because we are more emotional, our preferred choice of speaking is face-to-face. -face. We want to make eye contact. We want to see that we are engaging. Are you listening to me? Men, their preferred communication style is side-to-side -side or side-by-side. 
Women need to do face-to-face. Now, think about a, a, a career. You're at work. And your preferred style, you're a woman, is face-to-face. You're looking at your boss. You want to speak to him. He's a male. He's not even looking at you because men don't really like making eye contact. Face-to-face for men is seen as the prehistoric brain as confrontational. Competition. They trying to better me, especially making a lot of eye contact. <laughs> Think about this woman. One make eye contact all the time. Men don't. Now you're trying to speak to your boss. He's not looking at you. He's trying to side you because he, he wants to feel more comfortable. So what do you do? There's a miscommunication. The woman feels he's not listening to her or hearing her. There's no connection that's being built because they're not making eye contact. When we explain this to corporates, people in business, they just go, ah, <laughs> ah, it makes sense. You know, when you understand that this is the communication style, not to say that men shouldn't learn how to communicate face to face, because that's what women need. That's also how you build trust. You know, when we make eye contact, we release oxytocin in the brain for both of us. And oxytocin is the feel-good hormone. Women also exhibit a lot more head shakes and smiling and touching. Men don't. They don't want to. They don't want to make a lot of eye contact. Because in their prehistoric brain, it's confrontational. So what do you do with your boss? Depending on what your outcome is. If you want to build a connection and trust with your boss and a relationship, do one or other side-by-side activity. Um, a research actually showed us that men, if they asked them, how do they think we build emotional connection? They would say, like working together or doing a project together or side by side or watching sports. That's how you build trust with a man or connection. I won't necessarily say trust. More connection with a man is side by side. It makes them feel comfortable. You don't feel threatening to them. What should a man do if the woman really needs him to listen? Make a bit of eye contact. Look at her face to face. I think we should both do a little bit of both. The leave-taking behavior is what we do when we finish a conversation. We will turn our shoulders out. We will look down. We will look away. Um, I can go into feet, but I won't do that today. Feet, just watching someone's feet, you'll see if, whether the conversation's over. And it's normal. That's what we do. But if you understand that, you'll see, oh, this person has finished talking to me now, or they want to move on. Look at me ranting on. Oh, that is, so, that is so interesting, because you and I are sitting face to face here where we're recording, and I'm nodding my head yes. all the time and smiling. Yes, so exactly. exactly. What would you ask? Exactly. Me? This is what women do. That's how we love to communicate. And, you know, I do relationship courses with couples. And when I deal this part of how we communicate with each other, it makes sense to the man, and it makes sense to her. You know, when she gets home at night, she hasn't spent her 20,000 words yet. <laughs> she needs to finish those 20,000 words. He's finished his 7,000 long ago. <laughs> so where's the problem now? When we understand that men think when we talk, they need to solve our problems. They're problem solvers. We are just emotional talking. We don't want them to solve our problems. We just want them to listen. Don't give me advice. Just listen. When I explain this to couples, it's so easy for them. All he needs to do is nod a little, make some eye contact, face to face. She's fine. She's happy. 
That's so interesting. I wish one could get Mother Nature to sit down and explain why she built these differences exactly. into, into right. the sexes. You know, it comes down to, in the prehistoric days, men were what we call lunch chasers. They went out to go and hunt for food. That was their prime source. They came back with the food and they would sit at night and, and do fire gazing. The women were the ones we call nest building. They would look at the berries and the children and clean the campsite or whatever it was. And it's still with us. We're just a way more modern today. You know, so it's still with us. It's changing a bit and it worries me a little. You know, the roles for women, I think there's too much pressure on women to be a wife, a mother, a successful businesswoman or have a wonderful career. It's really hard. And I see the dynamic sort of changing. And I think women are going to crash and burn. That's just my opinion. Mm. Maybe not now, maybe in 100 years, it's not going to be good for women. Mm. It's too hard. Mm. We, we can't let men have babies. We still need to have the babies. We still need to look after humanity. So it's just my weird take on it. Yeah, but in the meantime, you are doing your best to build understanding. Understanding, 100%. Yes. Whose style is adopted when a man and a woman talk to each other normally? So, like I said, it depends. Depends. Men will prefer not to do a face-to-face and women will want to. So it depends what your agenda is. Do you, like I said, do you want to build a relationship with your boss? Do a little bit of side-to-side. Do you want to build a relationship with your colleague or your wife? Do a little bit of face-to-face. You know, we have to sort of, when you understand this, it's easy. You think about what do you want to achieve in this moment mm-hmm. with your child, with your husband, with whoever. Am I speaking to a man or a woman? If you're speaking to a woman face to face, we love it. You know, so you know, don't stand side by side to a woman because you're not building anything. There's no eye contact, there's no oxytocin, we don't feel the vibe. If you understand that criteria, I think we should try and adapt a little bit of both. If you're a man, try a little bit of that, and a woman, try a little bit of that. So the awareness will actually solve the hundred percent. The awareness is what actually switches on the little light. Mm. Now we're going to talk about leadership presence designed for women, because you've written that different nonverbal behaviours make a huge impact on how women are perceived in the workplace. Firstly, please explain to us what leadership presence involves. So leadership presence, I think we've all met those people where you just look at those people and you think, that person's got something. It's about our brain. We want to follow leaders. We don't want to follow losers. So when you meet someone and you see them, your brain, remember, it does it all at a subconscious level, looks at a person and thinks, "Mm, that person, I think I'll follow that person. I trust that person. That person looks competent. So you have a leadership presence is having that, I want to say charisma, knowing how to encourage people to be better, how to listen to them. So so there's something that they have, and leadership presence is that. And how can becoming aware of and applying the correct nonverbal behaviors be to women's advantage? So I've taught many women. Um, I've taught women that were working for themselves, women in boardrooms, women serious careers. When they start applying some of these things that I teach them, the whole thing changes. 
um, I've been in boardrooms many times and I've seen women acting aggressively towards their male colleagues. And it's sad to me because they think they need to be aggressive and they don't have to. When you are authentic and you understand what you're doing, it's so easy. It does change every way you communicate. It becomes more authentic. It becomes more clear. There's a lot less um, doubt. You know, so it, it definitely changes everything. You've identified three obstacles to women's being perceived as leaders. Could you tell us more about that? All right, so through our research, they've established, this is more on a human behavior thing. There are three different um, things that they've established are prevalent at the moment. So it's unconscious bias. We get the double bind paradox. And then, of course, the imposter syndrome. So let me explain about a little bit about each one. So which was the first one I gave you? The unconscious the bias. The unconscious bias, of course. Now, see what happens to the brain. But I get I've so excited. My, I've got my notes here. Oh, good. So the unconscious bias, the research on this was so phenomenal. They said that no person would consciously think a woman can't be a leader. We won't think that. You won't consciously think, oh, no, she can't be a leader. But unconscious bias. They, did, they asked men and women in the lab, please draw a picture of a leader. And almost all of them drew a male figure because it's unconscious. We look at um, world leaders as women. I know Merkel from, from Germany, she did really well. But she was an exception. Thatcher was an exception. There's not really strong people, and, and it's sad, people feel they, they trust a male a little bit more as a leader, and it shouldn't be. Unconscious bias. We would never say that out loud. We wouldn't even think it out loud. But it's there. We sort of feel like, hey, men are a little bit stronger than women. And so unconscious biases. There's been actually quite a number of research on that. The second one, the double-bind paradox, goes on with that. When a man rises in rank in his career or status, he becomes more likable. He, or he, his perceived likability stays the same or even increases. We like him more, we trust him more, we, because he's rising in rank. When that same thing happens to a woman, when her status and her power increases at work, we tend to like her less. Because, why? It's a double-bind paradox. For women, it's a, it's a question of you doomed if you don't and damned if you do. I've noticed women, it's, I think it's got to do with the jealousy thing a little bit as well. You know, as women rise in rank, they become less likable. More powerful, they are less people like them. Well, it's not the same with men. So it's little things that we need to be conscious of. And then, of course, imposter syndrome. So imposter syndrome, both men and women have it. But the research, for example, shows that in, in a, let's say, a company, women will be less likely to apply for a job which they think they are not educated or trained for, where men will always apply for that higher job, whether they've got the training for it or not. They'll always try. Women won't. Also, what we found is women find, especially when they become into leadership positions or anything, even me and you, we have this feeling of feeling like an imposter, 
Like, people are going to know the truth. I shouldn't actually be doing this. I, I shouldn't be here. Um, the success that I've reached is, you know, it shouldn't be mine. We have that. And I think with all things human, once we understand something, once we understand the fear of something, it loses its power on us. So once we understand those three things, double bind paradox, imposter syndrome, and uh, now I've forgotten another one. Consciousness. <laughs> Conscious bias. Yes. Oh, Lord, my yeah. brain is way too fast yeah. for me. Yeah. So unconscious bias, we even, you know, when I teach parents on body language, the unconscious bias we carry with ourselves, our children pick up. And we need to be aware of that. So you also do workshops then with parents, parents. To, to, to teach, teach them, them. To, co to communicate authentically? How to communicate properly with their children. Mm. Breaks my heart when I go shopping and I, I watch parents with little ones and they're unconsciously communicating with these children and they're not building any self-worth, they're not looking at them, they're doing nothing. And that's why narcissism is on the increase, depression is on the increase. You know, there's no communication, but nobody taught parents this. Mm. This skill that I'm teaching people now was not taught in schools. It should be. I think I want to start teaching this pre-pregnancy to parents. You know, just so to be aware. It's small little things. It's not even rocket science. It's easy. That sounds like another topic mm. for, yeah, for a podcast. I'm making a mental note of that. Good for you. I also read in one of your blogs that women fall into verbal and non-verbal behavior traps that rob them of their presence and confidence. Can you tell us about some of these traps? So, like I said, also there's many traps, but they are looking invisible, making yourself smaller than you are, not owning your presence. So during all our training with people, and people come to me afterwards and talk, you know, and what we've gathered was people, women will walk into a boardroom or into a meeting and she'll put everything in front of her in a small little heap. That's what we do. They'll put their hands under the table. We'll fold our arms. When we look at someone with that body language, remember the brain is looking first. It makes you look less than. It makes you um, closed off. So people feel like they don't trust you that much. We don't make good eye contact, which we need to. So there's three types of eye contact. There's power gazing, intimate gazing, and social gazing. And women tend to fall in the social and intimate gazing more because they're too scared to lift their eyes up to the power gazing. When I teach people this, they go, oh, look, there are cultural differences that we... Yeah, it's sad for me in some cultures where women aren't allowed to make eye contact with men. And when I understand that the reason why we need to make eye contact, we don't build trust. And yet these women are in positions where they're not allowed to make contact, eye contact with a male who's the boss. I'm actually doing a, a, a research now on the younger generations. You know, the cultural differences are changing. And women do feel a bit more powerful, and I think they should. You know, just by making your eye contact. Um, you know putting your hands under the table, on your lap. It doesn't build trust, because our hands are our trust indicators. So when you walk into an office, take up a little bit more space, open your body up, put your, spread your things out a little bit more. You know, speak up a little. Um, we tend to have the soft little voice, 
or very shrill voice, where we understand vocal power and how we should use our voice. You don't have to scream, you don't have to shrill. In fact, when you speak to men, the higher the pitch, the less they hear. Oh, is that physical? <laughs> 100%. They actually shut down. They can't hear you. So when you scream at them, they really don't hear what you're saying. The best way to speak to a man is take a breath and go to a lower tone. They hear that. I teach that to parents with children, boys and girls. When women get together, it's louder. If you want your men to listen, drop your tone a little, take a breath and speak on the outbreath. Changes the way they listen. Another thing, I watch women at, uh, in work and they will wear big chunky necklaces and they will wear low-cut tops maybe. What they're doing is they're drawing the man's eye down to intimate gazing. She wants to be taken serious at work. He's never going to take her serious because she's forcing his brain into the intimate zone or social zone. They will never see her as an equal. Where is the social zone? So the social zone is from your eyes to your mouth. Eyes to mouth. So they tend to roam. Your eyes tend to do that. It's very fascinating. When you start practicing this, it changes. Power gazing is from eye to eye to your forehead. So your eyes stay higher. And then intimate gazing is from eye-eye to chest. I don't say breast. I have to clear this up with men. It's not breast, it's chest. As soon as you drop your gaze, you become into an intimate. They won't take you serious. Just by the way you dress. Wow, who's taught us this? Mm. Nobody. Yeah. You know, so the tips I would give women is just open yourself up a little. You know, believe in yourself. When we start making eye contact, people start actually speaking to you. When you make the right eye contact. Depends what you want. Mm. Look, there are women that want to flirt at work. Um, they'll never be taken serious. They'll always just stay where they are. I'm not saying you shouldn't dress as sexy as you want. But depends what your agenda is. You know, where do you want to be taken serious? You dress according. Yeah, so once mm. again, you must be aware of your, of your desired outcome. Exactly, exactly. What is your outcome? Mm. I also read in one of your blogs about nonverbal submissive signals. Yes. What are those? So, <clears throat> once again, not making eye contact, sitting with your eyes down, hands on the lap. Submissive is um, crossing your arms. You see... A lot of people love this. I have a hard time teaching people not to cross their arms because we feel comfortable. Yes. Yes. Our brain relaxes when we do that. The heart rate actually drops. Wonderful to feel like that. But what are you trying to achieve? The person who's looking at you, what do they see? What does their brain see? Someone who's closed off. Someone who's not a leader. I don't want to follow them. This person looks insecure. They look submissive. So it's, once again, what do you want to do? My son was a big arm crosser. And, um, you know, I think I drive them crazy with body language. But he's very smart at this and he stopped doing it. And he sees it in other clients now or advocates and people they deal with. And he sees, he'll come home and he'll say, Mom, I saw our advocate cross his arms and the other side's advocate open himself up and I knew we were going to lose. Oh, gosh. Because it's, it tells you. The person who's looking at you, if you open up bigger, they feel they can trust you. The brain calms down. When you close yourself off, the brain sort of panics. 
why? What's going on there? And it's such a wonderful thing because it happens so subconsciously. We're actually not even aware of it. We just get that feeling. Mm. That's what it is. You've written that according to research outcomes, the right nonverbal cues help women portray higher levels of power, charisma and intelligence. You have touched on this, but would you like to wrap up by saying something yes, about Yes, let's that? talk about charisma. Charisma is such a fascinating thing. And when I ask people, what is charisma? People can't really give you an answer. So what we've done with Science of People, they've taught us that a charismatic person, you get warmth and competence. Okay, so we have a scale that I teach people and we actually sort of do this questionnaire where you see where do you fall? Are you warm or are you competent? When we are in the middle, we are charismatic. So charismatic people have a bit of warmth and competence. When I filled in the questionnaire the first time, I was extremely competent. Not warm. So I had to actually work on that. A warm person is that person that everybody loves. They, everybody at the office loves them, or in the friend group, they, 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 they're the ones you like to be around. But are they the ones you trust? Or if something happens, are they the ones that are going to take charge? Then you get those friends that are very competent, or work colleagues, whoever it is. You trust those people. You know they'll get the job done. If something happens, they'll, they'll be able to take charge. But are they the ones you want to spend some time with? Are they warm? They're not really. So when we understand charisma, when you see the scale, you sort of work towards the middle. And that's a charismatic person. That's when we teach women this, you don't have to become a nasty person. You don't have to be disliked. Having authentic communications with people and understanding them makes women, when they understand this, it changes the way they communicate. It's more effective, it's more enjoyable, it's easier. People respond so amazingly. It's almost like it's 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 almost like it's magic. You know, if you start making proper eye contact with people, let's say I was really bad at making eye contact. I had to really practice this. And it was hard for me. I could also see people lie. That's a whole another topic because also part of body language, of course, is human lie detection, which is the most fascinating thing. And so you practice this. And when I teach women this, they change. The way people respond to them, it's the way people perceive you. But the wonderful thing with body language is it's the way we perceive ourselves. Because what is body language really? It's an internal emotion, an external display of an internal emotion. Research now says it changes. How you display your external actually can change your internal emotion. It's called the feedback hypothesis or feedback loop. So when we change our postures and our body language, we actually change our emotions. We actually feel more confident. We feel more powerful. We feel kinder. So it does change. Thank you. I was wondering how we can adapt our habitual behavior when we're now aware of the effect it's going to have. So what I've noticed with all the training and the speaking, once people understand, you can't go back. It's like saying the pointer finger, for example. If you point your finger at someone, a lot of people speak like this without unconsciously being aware of it. When you use your pointer finger, your brain, the person you're pointing at, 
They don't like it at all. They stop listening to you. Alan Peirce did wonderful research on this, that pointing a finger at someone, they have less recall, they feel aggressive, they don't want to do what you say. Think of teachers in classrooms, they point at children. If you just turn your hand, hand upwards and open, open your palm, same thing, you can still point. <laughs> but you're pointing with an open palm. The brain relaxes, the research shows, people recall more of what you say. Children respond, it even works on dogs. So now I teach this, our habit is using our finger, but you'll start seeing how people respond to you and you'll think, ah, look what I'm doing. It's having that knowledge, it changes. It's not even, it's not even hard. You start changing because you realize what you're doing. It's really, knowledge is power. I know it's such a cliche, but it's knowledge really is the power. So, you know, if I say to someone, if you close yourself off in your body language, and you know that you are increasing testosterone, why would you want to do that? It doesn't make sense. So people learn. It's easy. Where can listeners learn more about your work, Tanya? So I have a website, um, www.artofpeople.info. And then, of course, they can reach me on theartofpeople1 at gmail.com or they can contact me. I'm always available. Mm. I'm going to attach the link to your website to this podcast. Wonderful. Thank you. And I'm sure they can also contact you through the website. Okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Now for your best tips on human behavior. Let's hear what they are. Okay. So I want to say these are tips that's changed my life. Um, it's things that I read. I love reading. I love learning. I would never have said this years ago. <laughs> I love learning. So one of the tips that I would share with people is we all want to be interesting. The way to be interesting is to be interested. And that's from the book of, with Dale Carnegie how to win friends and influence people. Really, when, I, when that hit me, that to, in order for me to be an interesting person, I don't have to read all these books and know everything. I just have to be interested in people because we all love talking about ourselves. So tip number one, to be interesting, be interested. Tip number two is from Professor Jordan Peterson. Um, his book, 12 Rules for Life. I love, um, there's so many people that have changed my life through human behavior and little sentences that stick with me. Professor Jordan Peterson, in his book, he says, you cannot change anything if you don't start with yourself. It has to start with you. You can't be a good mom if you're not taking care of the mom. You can't be a good wife if you don't take care of the wife. It has to start with you, otherwise you are a fake. You pretend to be this loving community worker, but you're not taking care of yourself. How can you take care of a community if the person who's actually doing the work is as hard as possible on themselves? So it has to start with you. That would be tip number two. Tip number three actually has four parts, but it's such simple. I approach 
every human I meet this way. And I try and keep this in my mind all the time. So, number one, all humans are suffering and insecure. All humans. All humans wear a social mask. Number three, all humans pretend they don't wear a mask. Because who wants to walk around saying, I'm wearing a mask? It's normal. We should wear masks. Imagine we all go around not wearing our masks. It's how we fit in socially. And then number four, is, to me it's the most important one almost. All adults, all adults we meet, are products of childhood suffering and reward. And when you understand how that works, and I normally go into a lot of detail in that, it's simple. You cannot, you understand people. People make sense. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you. Can I ask you your fun question? Oh, yes, let's go. I've often wondered why so few adults have soft toys on their beds. Now, if you could choose any soft toy without the need to be practical, you needn't be practical, what would you like to have sitting on your bed? I would say, immediately in my head, a grey, soft, pink elephant. I don't know why. With a little pink tummy and a grey body. I don't, I don't know, maybe I had something like that as a child. Mm. Definitely a little grey elephant. Mm. Strange, eh? Yeah. I should actually look into that. Why that would be my answer. Uh, it's just a fun question. Yes, but just there's a reason. Look, these questions, when we understand human behaviour, every question, when you go into the psychology of questions, mm. I mean, I have 33 questions that I could ask you, and each one has a different meaning. Your answer says something different to me. So there's a psychological reason why we ask certain questions. I can see your inquiring mind never stops. <laughs> never, never. My kids say, I analyze way too much. Um, it's a little bit of a problem. I've stopped telling people, you know, I hey, don't do that. I had to learn. <laughs> I had to learn to, to keep it. Only, only ask or help when people ask. So... Um, now ENCA or SABC will ask me to analyze people. I love that. So that is wonderful. Um, I've just done a, my very first arbitration where I had to analyze two co-workers that were, the one was threatening the other. And it was wonderful because there was no sound. I could really just look at the body. And we analyzed them and I did a whole report for these people. And I actually had to go and be a witness. It was actually quite intimidating. Goodness. But yes, it, it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. So you are really uh, accepted as an expert and you can... You know, they, they battle a little bit still with accepting me as an expert because it's not a university degree and it's still very new, especially in South Africa. Look, in America, it's a big thing. They train all lawyers and they analyze people completely. And they actually, human behavior, the book I'm studying at the moment is called Engineering Human Behavior. So... It's fascinating. It, uh, it's really, it, it's still blowing my mind a little. I'm learning so much about this. But it's so easy to manipulate people or to engineer the behavior you want. It's so easy. And we are being engineered every single day. You know, we just don't know. So that's the next chapter of my life is really that, studying that really. I don't want to engineer behaviors. I just want to understand it. Add to my condition. Yes, yes, 100%. Yeah. Fascinating. Thank you, Tanya. It's as if it, a whole new world has opened up to me. That's exactly how it happens. Yeah. You know, some, so often times when I've done training or even talks, 
people will come up to me and say, where can I learn this? How can I become a coach? Because we see the value immediately and we know this needs to be spread to the world. Mm. You know, we really need to help, even if I just help one person. Yes. It's wonderful. Yes. Just one person. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. I'd really appreciate it if you'd subscribe to Calm, Clear and Helpful and if you'd rate the show. Visit my website www.mariehetsneeman.co.za for this episode's show notes and for free articles and podcast episodes on love relationships, parenting, life's challenges and emotional health. To follow me on Facebook, just search for Mariette Sneeman Journalist. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me, and the music is by Mark Marie Sneeman. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.